0: We'll <music> Gentlemen, welcome back to the Woody Allen retrospective podcast. I'm your host Donald Wonder, and I'm back with that Moni Git, we like to call Simon Red.
1: Git, all right. Really, uh, Did you get up with your British foot today? What's up with that?
0: That's what I was born, son. That's where I come from, guys. Before we get started, I have an announcement to make, and actually, know some of you guys requested this. Here on Planet Tyra, we do a lot of other stuff apart from the Woody Allen, anime, manga, television. A lot of you guys don't give a what shit What does about that have
1: to do with you coming out of the closet? Oh wait, is that not the announcement? Am I getting this wrong? Did I jump the shark on that? Uh-oh. I thought that you could announce that.
0: You do understand that I am the editor. <laughs> so <laughs> I will find a way to fix that and to your... Hey,
1: either you leave it in or you give yourself more work. The choice is yours. Fuck you.
0: So, anyway, let's pretend that never happened. I've heard you guys' feedback, and what I've decided to do was you guys already know we've got the hashtag Woody Allen Retro. From now on, instead of using the hashtag, well, as well as using the hashtag, if you know anyone that likes the Woody Allen content we do, you can tell them we've just got a website called WoodyAllenRetro.com. That's woodyallanretro.com. If you're looking on YouTube, I'll put a link on the screen right now. It's not complicated, guys. We've got a website. We're going to have a better website. It's going to look good. But for now, you can just use the URL for all our recordings if you don't give a shit about any of the other stuff we do on Play at Tyro. And I would think that would make a lot of you guys very happy.
1: Up until they find something else to complain about. But yeah.
0: Okay. Well, with that out of the way, guys, thanks for checking out our podcast as usual. If you were here last time, we actually spoke about Broadway Danny Rolls. You can click on the YouTube card to go back on that dis- that review. You can click on the link and it'll go back to that discussion. And, of course, we're doing the podcast. We've been doing it all year. We're going to continue to do it with all the 50-plus Woody Allen titles. Use the Woody Allen hashtag, as I just mentioned before, woodyallenretro.com and on Twitter, Android, iOS, podcast, getting it any how you want. As always, spoiler discussion, guys. Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Not to be patronizing, but you shouldn't be listening to these discussions unless you watch the movie. So we're moving on ahead to the very next one, which is a massive one, a fan favorite in the franchise. But we'll see if we agree if it's that good or if it's just garbage. Simon, what are we talking about today?
1: (laughs) Wow, that's one hell of an introduction. Well, we're going to talk about the highly anticipated Purple Rose of Cairo, and as you mentioned, this one is critically acclaimed and a fan favorite. It was made in 1985, but it's set in 1935, so a bit nostalgia for you right there. And once again, it stars Mia Farrow uh, filling in for Diane Keaton, still in my <laughs> mind at least. You know, I'm not gonna let that that shit go anytime soon. But okay. basically, this is her moment to shine because. This is the second film Woody Allen wrote and directed that does not star him, if I have it correctly in my mind at the correct. moment. And That's correct. Mia Yep. And Mia Farrow is the lead, uh, with Jeff Daniels filling in for the romantic love interest. But there's a slight twist. See, the setup for this movie is actually probably the most traditional we have seen from Woody Allen. During the Great Depression, Mia Farrow plays Cecilia, who's in... A terrible spot. She has a crappy job. Her husband's out of work. Nobody has money. She's mistreated. She tries to leave home several times. But as a woman in the 30s, where can she really go? She's very shy and scared. And her husband really abuses that fact just to cheat on her, hit her, and use her as a ragdoll, basically, and a doormat. And then enters Jeff Daniels. But the twist is, and this is where the movie gets creative, Cecilia's favorite hobby is the movies, going to the movies, and she falls in love with every single picture. It's her way of escaping reality, and the movie she's currently in love with is The Purple Rose of Cairo as the title of the film. She watches it several times, one after the other, and about the fifth viewing of a single day, the one of the characters from the screen called Tom Baxter, played by jeff daniels turns looks right at her from the screen and says what are you doing you must love this picture and just walks off the screen and that's where the movie really becomes interesting
0: it does that's that's basically the the concept of the movie i don't know what to say man i i really did enjoy this movie like everybody else i did not enjoy watching it a second time or third time because the ending, which we'll get to
1: later... Oh, big jump there, but I, I can imagine it's going to be controversial.
0: We'll get to it, but I just want to say, th- this is actually one of the movies I've only seen once or twice, just because the ending is makes it a bit of a hard pill to swallow. But you, I'm sure you'll have something to say on that, Simon. But first of all, cast, Mia Farrow, again, like you said, Simon, she had her time to shine in this movie. And although she's playing a very mousy and uh, kind of... As you said, the abuse character. I, I actually liked it, and you kind of me,
1: Diane Keaton-esque, isn't she? You you really uh, come on. You
0: need to stop doing it. That. That's not that's not fair. That is not fair, Simon. For the last time, and this he he you know Woody Allen. I think it's fair to say he was kind of over Diane Keaton. He knew it was time to move on, and it had been four or five years at this point. So you know, I know he keeps saying that, but the truth was, I like. Mia Farrell in this movie and I think she does a better job than Diane Keaton would have and I'll tell you why here's the Blasphemy. reason, no here's the reason this is the problem, when you see an actress, I know you disagree with this but I, I even think I could bring up a good example of this, when an actress is playing too many roles with the same director I guess you could even, you know what actually i got an argument, I could even say like um, Leonardo DiCaprio when uh, you're one of your favourite directors
1: Let, let's, try, let's try something that proves your point I know. instead of contradicting you no so no that's try. what i said no no that's Let, right let's try no 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 johnny i knew i was going to contradict Byrne. myself but here's the thing that, okay johnny Depp and tim Burton. There's, there's your example like, overexposed too much of the same predictable boring that's what, was, that's what you want to say yes
0: but I, what i was going to say is you don't get that dynamic a lot with men and women like a like a male director like a female muse it doesn't happen that well often.
1: not without a lawsuit usually yeah
0: so that's, that's why I was going to allow myself to contradict myself on purpose. Thank you very much for proving my point anyway. Yes, Johnny Depp is a good example why this shit can go bad, go wrong. But, you know, that's taken away from Woody Allen's directory skills. Either way, you need to stop doing that, sign because Mia Farrow plays a role good. And in contrast to her last movie with Woody Allen, Border Danny Rose, it shows her range from being a very stylistic and toffee you nose know, kind of bitchy character to this kind of mousy and hard done by character which he plays the roles really well and I actually like the fact she commits her personality to the very end and I I, I'll get to the end later Jeff Daniels you know what fun fact I believe Michael Keaton was meant to play the role and actually for real I didn't even know that and he shot a lot of the scenes (laughs) for the movie as well (laughs) where they actually have some footage of this as well but Woody Allen decided that Michael Keaton portrayed too much of the 80s and not more of the 30s so ironically Woody Allen said that he would, you know, they, he was always looking for another role for Michael Keaton still has a habit to this day which is ironic but Jeff Daniels took the role and I have to say this is Jeff Daniels he has worked before this but he claims this is his first big major role his third movie overall obviously his first big big one as I said but he did say this movie had such a big effect on him I, f- I believe he has a production studio in his hometown that is named the uh, is it the danny rose or the Poudray it's rose? purple rose the it's purple, the purple rose.
1: rose so you know
0: he has a lot of respect for the movie even Mia Farrow's abusive husband he's a good actor he plays that danny role really
1: well. danny Alo? yeah i think most people will remember him from uh the madonna music video for uh, uh papa don't preach you know back in the day when they made music videos to appeal you know to conquer the medium of television unlike today where they make videos where people smoke weed with neon lights and lyrics on the screen to conquer the medium of bullshit
0: well let's be honest no one's actually going to remember that music video
1: (laughs) i I actually associated the guy with the video i actually thought he was Mia Farrow's dad in the first scene up until I realised, nah, that's his, her husband. I just see her him as a dad all the time because of that music video. An angry dad with alcohol issues.
0: I was just going to criticise you for having what we would now call an obscure music video because Madonna is now out of the public, out of the pop idol genre, whatever.
1: It's not like I like the song that much. I just remember the music video.
0: I'm calling you a goddamn nerd anyway. So <laughs> the rest of the cast, and I have to say, man, You just have to give it to the actors that are the movie in the movie. Oh, yeah. That cast as well, they are so fantastic. And you know what? Actually, I don't do this a lot, but there was one scene in particular, especially when Jeff Daniel leaves the movie, as you mentioned, and those actors are stuck in the movie and they're complaining with the audience that are watching the movie. There's one woman that she actually, she blasts a member of the audience and says something so funny. I think you're going to remember this when I play the clip right now. Hey,
1: what the hell kind of movie is this? They said it was a romance, set all over the world. Look, don't tell us your sad stories. You think we like this? Look at this. They sit around and talk, and no action. Nothing happens. I want my money back. Shh. This is outrageous. Why don't you stop yapping? We've got problems of our own.
0: You can't talk to my wife like that. Who do you think you are?
1: I'm a genuine countess with a lot of dough. and If that's your wife, she's a tub of guts. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm very funny.
0: The scene that have such great chemistry, one of those guys is actually, I know you don't watch Gilmore Girls, Simon, but one of the, the I guys... I know, there.
1: he was a dad in Gilmore Girls, he and was. he was also the, spoiler alert, kind of asshole uh, love interest for the mom in uh, um, The Lost Boys. Yeah. And who's uh, that actress is actually in the movie as one of the prostitutes, but without getting into too much uh, of the uh, the nuances, I really want to focus on where the movie gets good. And you alluded to this with the cast in the film, within the film that for me, where the movie shines is that this could go down in a very generic territory with this fantasy love story, right? Everybody listening thinks, okay, Jeff Daniels comes off the screen. Suddenly he's this perfect guy from the movies that changes her life. And they just go on a wild adventure. And the movie kind of does that, but, to me, the genius of the film is how deep it goes into the realism. Like, the moment he leaves the screen, the movie doesn't just stop. We actually see the other characters try to figure out what the hell is going on that one of them just got missing, and they can't continue the story. And then they even go further and start exploring what's going on in other theaters with the same movie, but the theater uh, manager thinks, what the head of the studio thinks about people... Outrage that one of her characters from the movie came to life, and just left the left the theater, and they even bring in the actor who plays the character. So Jeff Daniels is actually playing two roles. Yeah. he's not only playing Tom Baxter, he's playing Jill. Uh, sorry, Gail Shepard, who's the the actor in real life, yeah. play, who played this character in the movie. So the movie goes very deep, and really you explore every angle and. To me, that is the best aspect of the whole movie. To me, the love story and the adventure really take a back seat to exploring this fantasy element and seeing all these different characters interact with each other in ways you never really seen it happen before. Whenever you have this uh, setup for a film like this, where something comes alive that's not supposed to, be. people just usually accept it. Like, oh, okay, you know, let's move on. It, it reminded me a lot of that Tom Hanks movie, Big. Yeah. But he becomes an adult. It's another 80s film and people just roll with it, you know, his friend just accepts that everybody's in the dark and we never really get to see anybody's reaction to it up until it's relevant towards the end of the story. Here, the entire plot revolves around everybody in town in Jersey. Talking about what the hell is going on, and all the people from the studio, and the actor, and the actor's manager, and the studio head, and lawyers, and everybody coming and saying, We need to fix this right now. I mean, don't forget, this is the 30s, so a completely different mentality. And of course, Woody Allen gets to show his political humor, but people going crazy about, Oh, is he a red? Is he a communist? What is he, an anarchist? What's going on?
0: Yeah, and I, I have to one up you because. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said the realism of this movie, and for a fantasy movie to take the situation in a realistic way, and I just want to dig a little a little bit deeper into that, when Jeff Daniels, the actor, got involved in the movie, it made sense to me because I thought to myself, this is what would actually happen if this fantasy thing would happen in real life. If there was another version of yourself that was running around, you would be worried that they would ruin your image. And I like the way the media movie was like, what's he, a? the joke was like, is he a rapist, is he raping women? That came up so many times. He, he must be raping women, must be raping women. But he was worried that this guy is going to affect his career. So he had to fly out. And of course, the actors in the movie were having their own dilemma because I think one of the other nuances in the full, four dimension is those actors in the movie were not only protecting, pretending that they were in their own world, they were pretending they were actors in a play because they were talking about, you know, watching the audience, and like, we can see you, they will comment on the audience, especially when Jeff Daniels first walked out, he said, you know, I saw you before, I watched you, it's like, from their perspective, they're in a play, and they can see the audience as well, so Woody Allen really, it, this is called world building, guys, to cut it short, this is very, very layered world building, executed in a very simple movie, and I will tell you, man, for the time it was made, this blew people away, in a myriad of ways and it ages fantastically well. The cinematography for the movie is great. I remember if you check out the Woody Allen pages where they go into it, Woody Allen was talking about he was looking for a really run down place that could resemble the 30s, a year the, the time of the depression when the movie said to kind of get <laughs> this kind, yeah. And the place was even more run down. He was looking for he actually had to put into some money into the area <laughs> to bring up the code. I'm i'm sorry, I forgot what part of America this was, but he actually had to put money into the set design and the area to actually make it look like the 30s cause it actually looked too run down. So, but um, they had a celebration, I think it was recently, I think it was the 40th, uh, the yeah like the Hall close to the fourth anniversary yeah i
1: mean 85 it would have been the the 30th 30th like two years ago
0: yeah so the town actually celebrates this movie as well and again it's a it's a movie that celebrates hollywood as well the love story as you mentioned before again it's done you know we've done it before but the uniqueness is it's it's a love triangle between two people that are technically the same kind of person, just one's fantasy, one's real. And the dilemma for me, if I was character, is she has this... Well, that's the thing. And this is the point I want to kind of have a, a bigger discussion with you. is I think you're not going to be surprised if I told you, Simon, that the studio did not like the ending to the movie.
1: Yeah, I mean, to, to touch on it, basically, what happens with the love story angle is that um, when Jill... I keep saying Jill. Fucking Gil. I don't even like that name. So when Gill, the actor, comes in, he tries to convince his uh, counterpart to go back to the film and stop ruining his life and his career, basically, because he's a young, up-and-coming actor. And this is just all all around bad for him. But he seems to get romantically involved with Mia Farrow's character, Cecilia. And that's where the love triangle forms. So kind of the adventurous, breakaway nature of the film stops and it's more about Cecilia dealing with all this confusion in her life mm. as well as exploring really the the meta elements of hey a fictional character who only knows what was written inside his character in the film how does he function in the real world his money is paper money you know it's not valid it's fake bills he does never eaten before when he he has sex with somebody you know it's in the 30s so we go to uh, fade away You never see it happen. So when he runs into these random escorts, he's completely clueless. And he doesn't even know what a brothel is. Because in the movie, he never went to a brothel. He only knows the film world. So it's very clever. But I I know where you're going, that the ending's not particularly happy. It's Mm. it's more of a sad ending. But to me, the the romantic element fades away just enough where it re-centers on Cecilia's character really having an arc. And this is her journey when I, I this was my first time watching it so at the end where she has to choose between the two either go into the film world because another clever element in the film when she actually joins the cast they the film for a second so uh, Tom can show her around because in the real world his money is invalid they can't yeah. really go out on an adventure hmm. and then they come back down and then Gil shows up and it's time to choose. Are you going to live in a fantasy or are you come back to the real world? And you think the movie's message at that point is like, she chooses the real world. Tom goes back into the film. It's kind of a sad goodbye, but, you know, after all, it was a fantasy. And she chooses reality. So she leaves her husband. But guess what? Big face plan. Gil left on a plane and her ass is out there after she left her husband on the closed streets with all her clothes in a bag. And that's the part you hate, right? I don't hate it.
0: It's just really, it's so unexpected because it's not the ha- it's the opposite of the happy ending. She gets the worst possible outcome. She's given up. She doesn't have a husband. She, she doesn't. have the abusive husband anymore. She doesn't have the fantasy life anymore. And she doesn't have the fantasy Hollywood husband. She's got nothing. All she's got is her movies again, and it doesn't make me feel good. But I appreciate the brutalness of the movie. And Woody Allen said, "This was that was the ending that made the film special." There was no other ending, and I knew for I even knew before researching this. The studio were like, "Please give us the happy ending. Please let her either go with her turn to Hollywood or go in the movie, please." And Woody was like, "That's not the movie. That's not what this movie is about. This movie, and I don't think anyone with half a make could tell. This is about reality versus fantasy." Yeah, and I like the fact, and to be honest with you, what I like about Cecilia, and I respect the decision she made because she spent enough time. With the fictional Jeff Daniels to let him know that she couldn't live with him in real life. He didn't know what money was. He didn't understand the concept of anything. Jobs, God, he's he's a complete fictional character. So I was like, I for, when I watched it the third time, now I thought, now I could see why she shows the other guy. But when she went into the movie and then she lived had the fantasy experience, that's when I thought to myself, okay, you really kind of fucked up there because you lived, you you actually this was your dream. You went to the movies, you could be in the movie. But she came out and she, you know, she says to him, you know, I gotta be, I gotta have reality. And I respected that. And it showed that she was an adult and it was a risk and she got duped. And it's a hard lesson. But again, just like Woody Allen said, and I agree, it's what makes the movie shine. Because if we go with the other ending, the lighter ending, where she ends up with Jeff Daniels or the Hollywood or goes in the movie, it becomes meh. It becomes just an interesting, interesting 4-4 full, full gimmick movie. But with this ending, it really is the anti-escapism movie that this generation needs. (laughs) You know, and I I
1: really appreciate that. That's very interesting, man. I think we're going to disagree a bit uh, because I I, I interpret it completely differently. This is maybe me reading it. First of all, Woody Allen had me nervous throughout this entire movie. Like I was... Looking out for dead rabbits in every single scene. I <laughs> no, don't blame we, you. I don't blame you. He, he's doing this movie in a movie, you know, fourth wall fantasy stuff again, like in Star's Memories. And I was like, don't you dare do it, motherfucker. Don't tell me all oh, this was like non-existent. She had like a seizure. She's in a coma in a hospital or something like that. You know, don't come out (laughs) 30 years later and say, oh, it was all a a dream by the husband because the husband's insane and he killed everybody in town. It's crazy stuff like that. I was just looking out for, is there a dead rabbit in this scene? Are they ordering rabbit in the restaurant? Come on. Let let me know. (laughs) Is there a rabbit in the tomb in Egypt in the movie or something? So that was one thing. But other than that, when the movie wraps up, what's very interesting that in the beginning of the film, she has a low point. So she ends up in the theater and keeps watching the movie. And then the movie comes back around and it ends with her in the same theater, possibly the same seat, watching the film again with the ending of the film. And that's when the actual film ends. So it kind of goes in full circle, which to me is a huge improvement on Stardust Memory. Sure. And that's what kind of opened up the ending that, hey, This could all have been a dream she had in the theater. And if you look at it like that, I don't want to fictionalize it too much, but if you look at it like that, it comes down to that the movie really helped her find the strength to leave her husband and be brave enough to try to make it on her own. That's sort of what, to me, the movie's message is, is about empowering people through inspiration. I mean, both you and I, we love the movies because it's a great way, form of escapism and it kind of puts you in a good mood and it exposes you to new, fresh ideas and inspires you. Sure. And that's, and Woody Allen, at this stage in his life, kept talking about, like, he's trying to find, you know, the the meaning. Like, what why are we here? If if we don't have infinite time on this planet, what should we do to make it worth it? And this has been explored in Midnight Says Comedy, uh, Stardust Memories, a bunch of different films and that he did or he talked about as his influences and i think once again you want to touch on that but this time with a more direct message of i think art allows people to feel better about life to really make life better for people perhaps help them get through things find inner courage it's a tool to make life worth it and he he as an artist felt empowered by that. i think he wanted to convey that message by showing this really beat down character where all the cards are stacked up against her the time period her personal situation even her own gender and through this one hobby that was the only good thing in her life she really went through this character arc and in the end it doesn't really matter that he didn't like she didn't get to be with either tom or Gil, because what her real problem in life was she got over that she didn't need a man at the end she didn't need the hollywood ending of getting together with a guy to rescue her to be in a better place she found the inner courage because she went through an experience that felt that people there's something about her that can be loved because she didn't think oh anybody could love me i can find anybody who would treat me better but now she knows that that's not true And, and to me that's the real ending of the film but that, yeah, I mean, what else can I say? And also, uh, they say, uh, one of the best lines in the movie is that it's just as hard for fictional characters not to be real than to real people not to be fictional. Like, fictional characters want to be real. Real people want to be fictional. So that that's why she couldn't even go with Tom and live in the movie, because it wouldn't have been real. It would have been a lie.
0: Hey Simon. I agree with everything you said. I found I actually find your explanation uh, very mature. And, um, you know, I... I- Everything you said, I saw it that way before the movie became a fantasy. That that was the clear message in the beginning. And at the end, I'm not gonna say it was by the end, you're right. It's just Well, let me just finish you're right that it does that was the message that made her life better. It inspired her, it always made her life better. Even though she didn't leave a husband, movies made her life bearable, and at the end, she came a stronger person for it. Um I think that's the silver lining and the mature way to see the movie. And ultimately, I think that is Ultimate his message. Um, if he had a bit more of an epilogue and we saw a bit of a life after that, that point would have drawn from a little bit more. But for me, that point is there if you think about it more. But just walking away from the movie, it feels more just like a bit of a cautionary fantasy tale. But like I said, I respect the fact she made a conscious decision and she paid a consequence for that. And the movie does end with her having a, a tear and a smile on her face because, like you said, that I can see that in her face. She was happy she had the experience, ultimately. But as I said in the beginning, it still makes it a hard film to watch because it's, you know, yikes, you know, you really got done. You, you got duped and you missed a great opportunity. I know what you're saying. You still got your self-respect. You're still a strong woman. You could, you know, you could have happy, happy end. It's not the end of your life. But still... That doesn't mean it's not a hard movie for me to watch. It's like, I love the movie. And by the way, it's in my top five Woody Allen movies. And it's a lot. It's actually in like everyone's top 10 list. I think if we're talking about fourth wall breaking self-aware movies, if we think about movies like, I guess, Last Action Hero comes to mind. Even movies like Stranger Than Fiction, Ruby Sparks. Movies where we take a surreal aspect or a fantasy aspect of characters and bring them into reality, whether it's cartoons like Roger Rabbit or Ruby Sparks where an author brings the characters to life and stuff like that. It's really interesting to see, again, Woody Allen being an innovator, being one of the... not. There's films that were before this that actually brought characters in from movies to life. He's not the first to do it, but with this depth and the layers we mentioned with the people in the movies and the cinema, the lessons of her herself and... You know, the love triangle between two cats and the same people. I think this is a fucking fantastic movie. I really do. And I just, Woody Allen just absolutely kills it. And what I want to say is, this is one of the things that kind of hurts Woody Allen as a filmmaker and as Woody Allen doing movies every single year. In the grand scheme of Woody Allen's filmography, People, the fans of this movie, but the general audience don't know about it. Sure. I've spoken to many Woody Allen fans that don't really know about the movie. It gets lost in the, yeah. the sea of movies. Exactly. That's my point. He makes so many movies, even really good ones like this one, that you would think, oh, this is like, if if another director that wasn't Woody Allen Made this one movie, it could have made someone's career. This is to me, this is like a career making movie. It could be a one hit wonder movie, but everyone would know that director's name for this movie alone. But Woody Allen is of such a high caliber and he does so many movies in a year, it's kind of at his detriment that some and this ain't the only movie that does this that some of his really great movies are swept away when he does another movie and another movie and another movie and it just becomes a movie in a sea of movies where some people would argue that this should be up there with manhattan or annie hall and maybe maybe it's not quite that caliber but this is a clear superior movie to most of his movies easy top 10 and for me personally a top five so you know
1: yeah i I was actually about to bring that up that last week with um uh, broadway's danny what was it called Broadway. broadway danny Rose. I didn't want to say Rose because I'm like, Rose again? Really? Yeah, it's two Rose like, movies. <laughs> in a row. But yeah, yeah, Broadway Danny Rose. That was my problem. It's not like I didn't enjoy the film or I didn't think that it was easily watchable. But I thought Woody Allen can do much better than this. And the story was there. He could have knocked it out of the park. Hmm. But I need to accept that he is a volume filmmaker. He likes to do one. At least he tries to do one every single year he even feeds that line into uh jeff daniels's character uh gill in the film where he says I-, I try to do a picture every year you know to keep it fresh good catch
0: you're right he does say that good catch
1: yeah exactly so i need to accept that sometimes movies are what some film of his are gonna be like uh the weaker tracks on an album you know mm-hmm. that is just there to switch things up change the mood a bit experiment with things do something different it may not be as perfectly crafted as some of his other films but it's there to you know keep things interesting so you're not bored of seeing the same rom-com same manhattan story all the time which at this point in this retrospective we can clearly see him revisiting similar ideas i mean hell sure the play he wrote that got turned into the movie uh played against sam Hmm. the main character there is a down-on-his-luck loner who goes to the theater to escape, and he's obsessed with a certain time period, the Bogart era, watches all the movies, and then a fictional version of Bogart becomes his friend in real life, helping him get through relationship troubles. I mean, that's very similar yeah. to the trappings of this story. So, Correct, yeah. And later on in his filmography, he's going to have uh, plenty of movies that people were blown away by. That again are very similar to this idea of yeah i want to get away from this point in time my life this time period i want to escape to some fictional world then the fantasy element comes in enter this stranger from a different time who becomes a love interest and that's where the story takes you know goes into the next gear
0: and this is part of the reason why when people said Midnight in Paris is a marvelous I'm like no he's done that's the
1: movie I was thinking about and I love that movie and we're gonna talk about it but yeah yeah, you can clearly see by going back to these films either from the 70s or from the 80s that he does like to revisit similar ideas that are part of his main source of inspiration so for Mm -hmm. him to switch it up with some quote unquote weaker films or films that aren't you know produced to master level of perfection but Prioritize being fun and just easy and creative and running with an idea instead of uh, obsessing over the smallest details really pays off for him personally to keep his catalog fresh. But at the same time, for the individual movies, it can be to their detriment because it's not like you have 10 movies for a director you can instantly recommend to somebody out of 12 you say okay don't watch those two watch everything else and you're gonna be blown away but woody allen we're, we're talking about what 40 movies 50 movies yeah oh, a hell of a lot of films to check out
0: yeah uh yeah just i was gonna piggyback off what you said there but to be honest with you, i don't want to belabor the point again uh, this is a movie and again you hit the nail on the head he perfects previous ideas zelig take the money and run you just mentioned it sleeper he does them again, perfects them. It's not bad, and they never feel quite the same. But you know, Woody Allen does it in a really good way. And other other directors bite off other directors. Woody Allen bites off himself, improves it himself. It's really really cool. Or <laughs> igmar Bergman, as we as I can't even say the name properly. Ig, yeah
1: yeah. Let's get his name right because we call them every we kill Agnes, Ivan. I, I think we call them Ingrid Bergman by accident <laughs> I, just out of you know just out of routine. Ingmar, the motherfucker. Ingmar, call. Oh, Ingmar.
0: Ing- Ingmar, Ingmar. Well, there you go. Again, that's that the only one that he sometimes tries to parallel. But either way, fantastic movie. Without surprise, rotten Tomorrow, IMDb scores nines and tens. A clear favorite. And obviously, obviously, it was nominated for Oscar on the screenplay. Only for the screenplay. I mean, if anything's going to shine, that's someone to
1: shine. Hey man, but Jeff Daniels should have gotten an nom. I know he won the Golden Globe. But, uh, yeah, the, you know, Jeff Daniels, one of my all time underrated actors, and yeah. he shines in this movie because he has to play two characters that are inherently similar by nature, yet feel completely different. And he nails it. And then it has to be one of the toughest acting jobs I've seen anybody pull off. And for a young actor with minimal experience, that's that was very impressive. They could even take their outfits off, and you could still tell which one was Tom and which one was Gil, which one was a fictional and which one was a real-life person. And that's very impressive, because they act very similar. They have the same mannerisms, so just nailing that without going gimmicky. Like, you know, Johnny Depp would have had two different sets of makeup, two different sets of accents— you know, probably went through plastic surgery halfway through shooting just to be more convincing. <laughs> <laughs> Pulled the rubber dining junior from like Tropic Thunder, painted himself black, you know, requested, Tim, how can we give this guy a Caribbean origin? I want to be an Indian from the Caribbean who's also Chinese. Can you <laughs> <me> do that? <laughs> you know. Yeah. Jeff Daniels has the same hairstyle, same accent, and he just pulls it off with very subtle, brilliant acting. And for somebody who gets typecast in comedies up until recent years that he did, you know, shows like The Newsroom and... Uh, 10 years
0: later, he did Dumber Dumber.
1: <laughs> exactly. That, no, that's look, that's, that's,
0: a, that's an exception to the rule. No, what you said is, right, he, honestly, he's more of a serious actor. He's done really good movies. He's got an interesting filmography, not a very solid one, but an interesting one, but... I do think he's a very, very underrated actor, and I'm I'm glad he had the newsroom uh, in more recent years to help him to put him back on the uh, the limelight a little bit more to show his his chops. And this movie, being the his first big major one, really did show his early range before he dived into the comedy and then dived back out. You know, he's got he's got real he's real fluid. You know, he's got some real talent, and you know, it's this is a really good film for him, and he's really remembered fondly for this one as well. But um, Go and finish what you're want to say, because I've got one more point to make.
1: I was going to say it's funny that his acting counterpart in the film, the actor he plays, Gil, he complains about being typecast in comedies. So, a little bit of foreshadow to his career.
0: (laughs) But since you brought that up, I think there's something we have overlooked a little bit and I have to commend. The cinematography with him being in the same place, I think it's not bad. I mean, you, you know, you can see it with an eye now, but for the time... It's done pretty well. The two actors, you know, same time, green screen. However, they did it. I think it's done pretty competently. It, it, you can, if you look, you can see it. It's not, it's not perfect by two thousand seventeen standards. But Woody Allen really did a good job of that. And the same thing goes for the, you know, they had to shoot the actors in the cinema and the audience separately and shoot the dialogue. And they, they really put that together really well. So just for the, you know, the direction, of the cinematography for those two things are really good as well.
1: Yeah, it's um, ex- it's an excellent film from a technical perspective. Very similar to Zelig, yeah. where it does very subtle things, but the uh, tricks they pull off, they pull it off very well and very seamlessly.
0: Well, there you go. That wraps this up. Again, this was a longer one because this was it was worth it. It was a good movie and I'm glad that, you know, I was actually wondering if this was going to be a little bit overhyped for you, Simon, but it seems you found a, a, the same level of appreciation that I did, even more so then I did even
1: well for me the ending works because in my head everything that she experienced was through the film so she never actually got really disappointed it was sort of the movie what did Woody Allen say about Stardust Memories the movie projected in her consciousness or some bullshit like that the rabbit
0: projected (laughs) itself in his consciousness and everything he was seeing was through the rabbit's. you know what Ah.
1: this movie (laughs) actually takes place in the character's head who's in Stardust Memories, who's a projection of Woody <laughs> Allen's character through the rabbit. So that's how, that's the actual continuity of Woody Allen's filmography. It's all connected, see? You know what, to be fair,
0: I, I think he heard, by this time, he had heard the criticism for Stardust Memories. He made it
1: clear what this film was about. So exactly. we don't have to worry and this, about This that. felt like, he, he's like, no motherfuckers, this time I'll do it right. Like he made, it a, <laughs> uh, he made a point out of it.
0: He's gonna walk out of the film there's gonna be an audience reaction. There's even I love it. There's a woman that oh f- ah! She just fainted. And the same thing when Mia Fell went in the movie and the love interest touched her and she screamed as well. <laughs> that was some of the funniest moments as well. It's just funny. But great film. We don't want to overstate the point. Guys, if you've seen this movie, if you agree, if you haven't seen this movie and you was wondering, should I watch this movie? I will lastly say, guys, if you haven't, this is a movie I think has some of the highest accessibility to the non Woody Allen fans actually you might not even know Woody Allen directed this movie and actually it's you could but I'm just saying this has very high accessibility I could recommend this to people that are not fans of Woody Allen so this is a very good entry-level Woody Allen point movie I would say as a final accommodation to the movie
1: yeah I'll join you right there and for me uh it creeps up to number four this is like in my top five as well so far what we have seen from Woody Allen
0: I'm sure your list is gonna and you know we're gonna have our own separate top tens it's gonna be funny when we get of course
1: there's plenty of films I've seen already that I like quite a bit that are coming up sure that's you know later down the line but uh, for now out of what we've seen this is definitely in the top five
0: yeah no, no doubt no doubt so anyway guys like I said before leave a comment in the comment section down below let us know what you think of the new film like, dislike, share your thoughts again I want to thank my buddy Simon Red for joining me on this one
1: sure watch uh, more Jeff Daniels movies try The Martian or Steve Jobs he's good in those
0: you just said Jack Daniels <laughs>
1: I said Jeff. It sounded like to
0: watch more Jack Daniels movies. <laughs>
1: no, uh, you, you know what? You should have some fucking Jack Daniels right now. <laughs> Calm your ass down,
0: guys. You tell him in the comments. It sounded like Jack. And you play it back. Some you you said Jack. You said Jeff.
1: You're the editor, so you're gonna probably fuck me up and just edit some shit yeah, together.
0: You tell yourself that, guys. Don't forget to check out the Woody Allen pages. Watch this guy because there's a lot of behind the scenes info about this movie, like Michael Keaton, which I think would have been. I think Woody was right. I can't see Michael Keaton in that role, which is really weird, but I still would like to see it out of curiosity. Check out all the behind the scenes stuff on the WoodyAllenPages.com. Give us a like, subscribe to the channel. Thank you guys on the podcasting because we're always going up on the podcast so we know you guys listening on your headphones like it a lot more than the YouTube folk. I'm going to be stopping to you guys. Subscribe to the channel, the YouTube guys. I just insulted. And we'll see you on the next video, guys. Take care.
1: Peace.